A great philosopher of the internet once said, Always be yourself, unless you can be Batman. Always be Batman. While neither of us are Terry McGinnis and will likely never be Batman, we can live vicariously through him in his many comic adventures. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. This is episode 141, Catwoman, Dark End of the Street. My name is John. My name is Kit DeForge, visiting from View from the Gutters. Yeah, uh, Kit was nice enough to join us for this episode. Um, before we begin, as you know, we no longer do a summary on this uh, podcast, so we will jump right into Education Alley here. Um, not a lot in this one, um, but the first one that I had was Bupkis. Detective, the detective says this to Slam Bradley when referring to the investigation of Maggie Kyle, Selena's sister, and Bupkish is Yiddish for nothing at all, mm-hmm. which I pretty much could gather from context and knew, but I didn't actually know it was Yiddish. I just kind of knew it was something foreign for not at all. It's it's fun because it's one of those neighborhood flavor kind of things. Like if you're um, if you're establishing a world and you're trying to get things to kind of blend in. Um, language is a great way to do that, but Gotham as kind of a little little miniature version of our world and our New York City, I think Bupkiss is pretty appropriate, um, considering you'll have lots of different groups of people in a large city. So I, I particularly like the flavor of Bupkiss. Yeah, it, it's, always a, it's always a word that I've enjoyed as well. Um, in this story, we have the first appearance of the Todd Russell Clayface. I don't know which number Clayface that is, but uh, this was his first appearance in the Catwoman story, uh, as opposed to Carlo or any of the other Clay family characters that we have run into in the past. Um, And the last one for Education Alley is the East End of Gotham, and that is where the Catwoman has made her domain. This is the neighborhood that Catwoman claims as her own. Uh, Crime Alley, where Bruce's parents were shot, is in this neighborhood. And also, Leslie Tompkins' clinic is here, and Jason Todd stole the wheels off the Batmobile here, as the famous song goes. Yes. Um, I'm also really fond of, um, of the idea of these neighborhoods of Gotham, and I think it's something um, that we've discussed before uh, a couple of times with, with just Gotham as a world and Gotham as a character. Um, it's really fun to think about how in the real world there are places that the police do not go. Um, we kind of joke that in Gotham there's probably some less Batman-y places as well, um, particularly if uh, his parents were shot in this area. It's kind of interesting to have Catwoman set up in this area with her own flavor and her own idea of how justice works. Um, that That, for me at least... Uh, kind of adds color in the sense that you've got you've got a Gotham that has to somewhat subsist on its own. Um, Batman, of course, does get here at times, but I, I think about it in comparison to New York City and L.A. and other places that are large metropolitan areas, and it interests me how these neighborhoods will have to become their own world and their own set of rules. Yeah, and that's something we saw in um, No Man's Land as well on a more grand scale of kind of the whole city was turned into that of having to subsist on its own. And then we've seen in a couple of our recent episodes various areas, not the East End specifically, but various areas of Gotham where it, they are still subsisting on their own. They don't get a lot of police protection or or Batman uh, showing up. I think uh, in the Orpheus Rising story, we had a neighborhood like that, and the name is Blanking. On, in me right now, I want to say it was like Four Corners or something like that was the intersection of four neighborhoods. And one of them was one that where Orpheus was trying to set up shop and Batman wasn't very common there. So, yeah. yeah, this is another one here. And it's also nice, even if this area wasn't really thought of before this time to set up an area that's specific to a character. We've talked about that with when we talked about Nightwing as far as like Bloodhaven is his city. Yeah, And it's Gotham adjacent, as we uh, will see in the next story we're covering, uh, Bruce Wayne murderer, that he can get back to Gotham pretty quickly when need be. But he's also set up in his own space and can operate without the interference of Batman. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so we'll move on here to our talking points. Um, I didn't really have any particular order for these. Um, honestly, there wasn't much in this story that I found particularly bad or particularly good to kind of make a distinction. So I just picked some key things from this story that we can talk about. The first one being Slam Bradley. And this was my first introduction to Slam Bradley. Um, I'd heard of him, and I know he's a very ancient character. He's been around since the beginning of DC Comics. He was in Detective Comics number one, even before Batman or Superman were created. He was there. Um, obviously, we know Batman came in Detective 27. So mm-hmm. he's always sort of been tied to Batman, but not directly. I mean, just coming from the same title and everything. And this was great noir storytelling to me. The Slam Bradley was the backup story from Detective 759 to 762. And uh, I love that noir storytelling, you know, old, old-timey old 40s movies and serials and all that stuff. And it, it's always interested me. So I really enjoyed this story. Well, street-level personality, again, um, with a critical element in noir sto- or storytelling is the idea of these sort of... Uh, grizzled detective types or you know beleaguered investigators and things like that and um slam slam of course is a character that had to have been drawn from pulp influence in the first place but it's so nice when you get a good gotham story that kind of tugs you back to the very very beginning um in terms of sensibility and personality and um i i i like a good crime story with somebody that you don't necessarily connect to that much on a human level, but you kind of feel like a child about because you kind of wish you still were that sort of cool person. Um, Slam is one that anytime we deal with him, I'm always delighted to find out he's in a book. So, And I thought this was a very good way to bring Catwoman and Selina Kyle back into the Batman universe. Um, at the time of this story, she's presumed dead. Um, she's faked her own death in two personas both as selena kyle and as catwoman and the mayor hires slam to investigate because he doesn't believe catwoman is truly dead yeah and uh that's kind of jump starts her decision to come back to gotham set up in the east end and become catwoman again so i thought that was a really neat touch to the story of using like you said uh, a different type of character one we don't always see in the in the batman universe to kind of bring selena back into the forefront um, Selena again, in, in particular, with the whole street level thing, you've got you've got to have this kind of supportive rogues gallery in these sort of comic books that don't rely so much on superpowers and abilities of those types, and maybe cape. There, there is still some cape and costume sort of thing, but it's definitely more humanized. And so to have a character like him pull her into that, it also informs you pretty early on what sort of book you're going to be reading and uh, what sort of narrative we can expect, I guess. Yeah, and I I will say that um, we'll talk more about this when we talk about Catwoman, which is the next point, is that I have not read a lot of good Catwoman stories. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the start of this volume is a Catwoman story that I would want to keep reading, which is not something that I've run into before. So I did like that aspect of this. So let's jump right into talking about Catwoman there. Um, And this is related to that. I think the best use of Catwoman is in a Robin Hood type character who lo- works outside the law even more so than Batman because technically he is outside the law, but to borrow like D and D sensibilities, he would be very lawful mm-hmm. in his orientation, or that's uh, not orientation, but you know what I'm referring to. A- and I feel like Catwoman is more unscrupulous, more anti-hero type, more in the vein of say a Punisher type character who is, is willing to go even further, or or a Jason Todd Red Hood willing to go even further to make something right, even if it involves, you know, killing the bad guy or something like that. Mm -hmm. But they're ultimately working for the greater good. Uh, I have a a quote somewhat to this effect as far as uh, Catwoman goes, and again, keeping with uh, those sort of anti-hero flavors. Uh, It is, my world is just shades of gray, Batman. That's why you'll never really understand me. Uh, We're in situations where good people are forced into bad situations. She she puts up front there that her territory is not just, you know, this area of Gotham. It's also an ethical territory of um, somewhere between the right and wrong, which she says to Batman, it's a place you can never go. And again, as far as writing, as far as sensibilities for a noir story, that's very, very classic. 
Yeah, the the private investigators were you know outside the law, as as you say, and and that's pretty much who those noir stories are based on. So yeah, she fits right in with that. Mm-hmm. The problem I have with with Catwoman is that when she's just a high end thief, as Slam Bradley pointed out in in his uh, backup story, it's not that interesting to me, mm-hmm. and I, I just I'm not interested in a character who's out for their own good, which I think. This comic did a really the the Catwoman portion of this comic did a really good job of pointing out that she'd gotten away from her roots, and it had ultimately made her into something she didn't want to be, and she needed to get away from that, and then eventually come back, kind of more as she began, mm-hmm. um, as the, this this vigilante type who's helping an oppressed people group that other people are not helping. In this ca- in this story, it was prostitutes that the police weren't looking into what was happening to them because they weren't considered real people to them. So, I mean, she she ha- she focuses on a different aspect than the police and then Batman. I think that's when she's best. When she's just kind of, oh, we need a thief, let's get Catwoman. It it's just dumb. doesn't work for me. Yeah, it, it lacks color. And I think what gives Catwoman this, this more lively sense of being more three-dimensional is the idea of Catwoman as a social bridge, as you've uh, sort of indicated here, that uh, Catwoman is able to kind of hop between roles in some senses. She does have a fair understanding about how Gotham outside her neighborhood works, um, but you get more you get more of a feel of her as an individual character with her own skill set, and I say skill set very specifically. Because so much of comicdom will like to view her character as lesser due to what they see as a lack of power set, which completely different concept here. Um, when you do the whole Robin Hood story, it's okay to kind of do the steal from the rich, you know, give to the poor. But if you've seen it before, it's important to understand why she would want to be that social bridge and what kind of person she actually is. Um, and so I think it's completely understandable that if she stuck or if they stuck with just the Robin Hood mentality, there's nowhere interesting for it to go that you haven't already been. So um, sticking with a territory of strong characterization and good clippy dialogue and writing, uh, particularly evidenced in this book, which happens to be one of my favorite Catwoman books. Um, I think that it only works because they're able to do good characterization, good writing. And uh, Brubaker is pretty familiar with this sort of genre and territory, and I think it shows. And, and there's, a, there's another piece to this story that wasn't included in this volume uh, that kind of takes place around the same time as the Slam Bradley story and then leads uh, directly into the Catwoman story, which is Selena's big score, which uh, um, I read not as part of this trade, but just because when I was reading up on the character to try and figure out, you know, what pieces I was missing from just having the little interactions where she came along in other bat stories that we've covered, um, as far as like her faking her death and everything, it referenced that. So I read it and that that's where she gets the money to kind of finance what she's doing in the Catwoman book. Mm-hmm. And also, as you were mentioning with Robin Hood, she's stealing that money in order to then, do the good of helping the poor or the downtrodden in back in Gotham, not stealing that money for herself so she can live a luxurious life, which is what she had been doing at some points before, which is the part I, I was not interested in. So yeah. I feel like while you're saying the Robin Hood part, is, just that isn't enough for, for Catwoman. I feel like if you take that part away, though, you take a lot of the part that I find interesting about the character away. Yeah, and and I I agree. Adding more pieces on top of that makes it even more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Robin Hood aspect is the one that is the most important to me. I feel. Yeah, it's um, it goes back. I think again to that uh, that quote with what the ethical and re- or relational kind of quandary between Catwoman and Batman is, is that Batman starts out with a position where he's able to pursue good because of his circumstance. Catwoman has to Robin Hood in order to improve anything in her life and the lives of those around her. It's not like she starts with these resources. So she has to use her wits and she has to use her skills in order to gain them, which I think adds to 
to that dichotomy between um, Batman and Catwoman that a lot of people might see very reductively and for good reason, because it really did just start as having somebody to screw around with Batman. Um, I, I think it's really nice when you've had a character like this go away for a while, disappear from the radar, and you can take some aspects of what the character started as and then put something on top, like give give a little spice to it because um, having having the Robin Hood idea is a definitely a good start. But if you're a comic reader and, you know, a reader of any kind of regular literature, you might go, well, I know this story and be less invested in the action if you don't know why it matters to them. So, yeah, and. I included this, and I don't know how how well it really fits in, but this is something that's kind of been on my mind about the character of Catwoman. Uh, She seems to me like she might be a relic of a past era of comics. She seems very much from the the early days of Batman and and from the 60s, and and it kind of seems like they've ramped up Batman so much, particularly in the 80s up until the present day, with much more powerful and dangerous villains, like the Jokers become much more dangerous. Uh, Bane is very, very powerful villain for Batman. Poison Ivy has been portrayed with some pretty incredible um, chemical technology or, or chemical uh, knowledge in order to, to create some real havoc. Um, you know, Penguin and organized crime, all these characters that seem to have much more high stakes stories than, than Catwoman. And I kind of wonder while I do like a variety of Batman stories, I kind of wonder if always when I run into a Catwoman story, it being one of the lower stakes Batman stories, if maybe I appreciate her less uh, because it won't have quite the impact to Batman as say getting his back broken by Bane in Nightfall, you know, or, or or the, the no man's lands uh, story where it's a big, shaping event for the character or for the city mm-hmm. and i think a good writer would go a long ways toward making it something but some interplay between catwoman and batman maybe on a moral level or on a philosophical level that would make it a great story and i just feel like we don't have a lot of those and um this one is quite good but it also really is it doesn't involve catwoman and batman it's more focused just on catwoman yeah, and and that's definitely a factor in that is that this story I think works more successfully when viewed as a patchwork or as a patchwork story to the larger story of Gotham City and a larger a piece to the larger puzzle of what's actually wrong, I guess, in order to get these characters to do these things in the first place. Uh with Batman with Detective Comics You've started out pretty much from day one with a pretty large supporting cast of street-level heroes. Um, and we'd, of course, mentioned Slam before. We'd mentioned Dr. Leslie before. Um, when these comics were being created, digging into that pulp tradition of this network concept, a network of people who want to do good but don't have the power to do something I guess, cataclysmically important or, or something that would make front page news. What happens instead is you have to have a series of small events that are attempts toward a greater good. Um, so yeah, the, the stakes aren't going to feel as high for sure because you're, you're not going out and say like punching some sort of planet eating monster in the face. You're taking tiny steps towards something that hopefully will get better. Um, in in Batman's case, yeah, he'll he'll punch the you know occasional robber or or whatever like that on on a street level sort of sense. But Gotham, seeing Gotham as something that is corrupt on almost every level, is I think what can make these stories interesting and compelling while not being so. Uh, blockbuster i guess it's not really you're not going to get a blockbuster movie or a popcorn movie out of catwoman really unless she's tied into some huge event where there are many other people pulling in that direction so it's definitely fair (laughs) and and maybe i need to reevaluate and look at catwoman on her own because reading this story that doesn't really involve batman or much of the bat family um it was very entertaining, and I, I didn't feel like it was low stakes. I didn't feel like 
um, you know, oh, well, this is this is filler material until we get to the next big event. And I think that has to do with the fact that it is divorced from Batman. So I think yeah. if we look at this, like you're saying, as a part of the of Gotham as a whole, of the world of, of the Batman universe, then it maybe fits in much better. And I think maybe because my other interactions with Catwoman were in those more crossover type tales that it felt a little flat for me because it, she wasn't in her element and she wasn't able to do the things that make her her. Yeah. And she kind of had to fit in kind of like Hawkeye on the Avengers. He's yes, a little bit out yes. of his element and he's not necessarily going to be the most interesting character in that environment, but you take him down into his environment he can become a much more interesting character. And we have people who are picking up the, you know, Hawkeye book and they're wanting to read more because if you're able to make the person the interest and the person the conflict, you're going to have less concern with um, with not having as much crash boom bang going on, I guess, in the background. Um, when you had made the comment, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to also uh, kind of take a look at this this idea of Catwoman as a relic of a past era of comics. Uh This is something that definitely has kicked around in my mind quite a bit, and particularly in this book, because of the amount of character work they have to do to even try to pull her from that position in comics history. Um, I found an interesting quote uh, from Kane in the creation of this character and in playing with this character that was essentially his mindset about women in particular when he made this character. Um, The short version is, I felt that women were more feline creatures and men were more like dogs. Um, Women as unreliable beings and cats are hard to understand as women are. Um, Men feel more at ease with themselves with a male friend than a female one. You always need to keep women at arm's length. You don't really want anyone... Uh, you don't want any of them coming in and taking over your soul as they have a habit of doing. Um, There's kind of a love resentment thing with women in my life. And I guess that fueled my image of Catwoman. So it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting and telling thing there is that if this character you've created from the start, from the get go is kind of meant to be playing on this sort of stereotype, I, I wonder how much of that has to be considered too when you have um, when you have Cook and when you have uh, Brubaker saying how do we make this into a person rather than what is already a what 40 50 year old trope now it's it's a pretty impressive feat to have to try and uh, tackle this at all and so getting Catwoman away from the cat burglar who just takes for her own benefit is already doing miles to kind of humanize the character when you add other people into the component you can still keep what's interesting about a feline character who is not necessarily at your beck and call not necessarily reliable and you can play on that to make it a human trait rather than just a female trait and with Catwoman it's very largely about doing what she wants to do because she can do it because she has the resources to do it and because she wants to at the time which is very cat-like in that respect they don't really do anything they don't feel like doing at any given time um but the the mindset for sure definitely adds to that feeling of the character as a relic um because it's it's hard not to see that after decades of this being the precedent for the character and um, this story is from 2002, 2001, yeah. 2002, um, which we'll get to in a minute when we're talking about the, the costume. But I, I, while you were talking there, I was reminded of Anne Hathaway's portrayal in The Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. as kind of really fitting into that stereotype that you just described. Like, she was pretty much just stealing things because she wanted to. Like, she yeah. she wasn't rising ab- above the stereotype for the character and um, that's a really great quote that you found. I didn't know that from, about Bob Kane, but it definitely did inform the character through many, many decades of, of her continuity. Um, interesting also with this is um, 
when they were talking to Kane about the character many, 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 many years ago, I guess, um, the inspirations, the real life inspirations for Catwoman are worth noting as well for people who are interested in film. She was inspired by late actress Hedy Lamarr and Jean Harlow. So first off, if we're talking about noir, you have a very, you have a very interesting thing to chew on with that fact. Um, people who, who may know a bit about film may recognize Hedy Lamarr as this dark-haired kind of, I guess, standoffish sort of actress. And she herself frequently pigeonholed into roles where she was this kind of vaguely threatening femme fatale sort of character, but also with this side of laughter, with this sensibility that things were there for her amusement. Um, I think that that inspiration still exists in Catwoman in many senses, but I also think it's been allowed to evolve in the ways that the actresses themselves were not. So that's that's something I, I always find myself thinking about with Catwoman, particularly looking at uh, Cook's uh, designs for her clothing and for kind of her sensibility, her walk, her stance. These are all things that lend a lot to characterization. Yeah, let's talk about her uniform, because this is quite a change from the uniform that she had uh, a volume ago in, in Catwoman. And I like this one better than the cat suit with the tail. I always found that just rather plain, because mm-hmm. it was pretty much monochromatic. So goofy. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's a little, it's it's quite goofy. The tail is goofy. Like, the cat ears survived, and I think that's kind of a quick visual cue that it's Catwoman, and I don't think that will ever really go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm okay with that. But as we mentioned, this is a 2002, 2001, 2002 story. And even 14 years later, that costume still feels modern to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And you, you talk about the ears and, and we've had some people kind of evolving the, the costume in this sense where maybe the ears become useful and in Batman's case, you know, I remember some sort of talk of, you know, sonic hearing devices in there up in those bad ears. Um, and Catwoman's newer costumes later with, uh, I think after this was the point that Adam Hughes was doing those covers. But the more utilitarian, like, goggle thing, um, more of an idea that her costume can also be allowed to serve a purpose. And as a cat burglar, cat suit's still fine. <laughs> Yeah, it struck me as a well-designed costume and not just fashionable clothes for the era. And we've Mm -hmm. seen that with a number of characters. I look at uh, Power Man in the 70s. I mean, you wouldn't dress Luke Cage (laughs) like that now. Um, You know, and and there's a bunch of other characters you could point to and go, yeah, Disco Nightwing, uh, for instance. Like, we won't see that come back. Darn. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah, I I don't think anyone's really uh, uh, mourning the Disco Nightwing suit. Yeah. and then the portrayal in this story versus previous portrayals of the characters. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit already. Um, Dylan weighed in. He wasn't able to join us for this episode, but he weighed in with some general discussion here about Catwoman. So I'll read his thoughts verbatim. Uh, Catwoman is a character that I would really love to like, but she rarely does much beyond serving as little more than eye candy and cheesecake poses, even in her own book. Catwoman as a character has been retread in horrible ways namely in 1987 by frank miller ugh as a dominatrix trying to escape an abusive pimp really a majority of the critiques i have for catwoman are a critique of the comic book industry's handling of female characters as a whole sexualization being used only to further the hero's story or being completely ineffectual catwoman is supposed to be a butt kicker but as tv tropes put it she is often having to be rescued by batman I would love to love Catwoman, but from her inception, she has served a very specific purpose, and she hasn't been allowed to outgrow that origin. Now, Dylan hadn't read this story, so when I pointed out to him how this story had had treated the character, he was like, oh, well, that's great. Uh, That's exactly what's been needed. So Mm -hmm. he's he's commenting from kind of the mindset that I had going into this as well, as, as I've kind of mentioned, in that I hadn't really read a good Catwoman story going into this. And as he pointed out, even in her own book, which we've read in a couple of crossovers, she is drawn so sexualized and in so many of those 
impossible poses and ineffectual poses just for the male gaze or for the female form appreciating gaze. I I won't specify just male gaze. Mm -hmm. That it's really off-putting to me. And I'm really glad that in this story, she's drawn with reasonable proportions in reasonable clothing and treated with much more respect, I feel like, than she has been in the past. I definitely felt the same way. And and we, um, we did a little trotting over these sort of feelings, I guess, when we talked a little bit about this in views as well. Um, it's, it's something that is always frustrating to me as, as a woman, because so many young women have had the experience of liking the character or being interested in the character because they're aware of some sense of power in that character or some sense of agency, but it's only allowed to be there in many stories with the understanding that it can be batted away at no pun intended um, at, at convenience, you know, where she may have some degree of agency. She may decide to do these things for herself and have her own skill sets, but you can pretty much always expect Batman to show up and shake his you know, finger at her and say, no, hell there were points in Batman's stories where uh, I, I wish, I wish podcasting was a visual medium just for this particular panel. There is a Batman and Catwoman panel where he is rubbing the makeup from her face, trying to get her identity. And she's protesting this. And he says that daddy will spank her if she doesn't, you know, if she doesn't comply. And um, it's 100% reasonable when I hear people doubting that Catwoman can be an effectual, real three dimensional character Um, for Dylan in particular, since I, I don't have him here right now. Um, I don't want to say I'm going to challenge him on this. I am going to encourage him um, to pick up Catwoman when in Rome. Because if you want an interesting Catwoman story, um, and and you're excited to hear that this particular story gave her more depth, I think that he would probably enjoy Catwoman when in Rome for that reason. Um, Stakes are lifted up a little bit, which was a concern we talked about earlier. Um, Her dealing with the Falcone family. That's that gives a little more beef. Um, well, and that was also one of the key components of Selena's big score was that was also the Falcone family that she was dealing with in that story. Yes. And yes, it did give her very high stakes. Mm-hmm. may not be as high as some of the stakes we've seen Batman have, but when isolated as her own story, it still feels like very high stakes. And mm-hmm. that's all we can really ask for in, in these stories. And if you tried to give her stakes too much higher, it, would only serve to make the character look incompetent or suddenly thrust an insane power set on a character that doesn't logically have it. So that that is one of the things, too, is that you can only go so far in terms of these, uh, these threats and these powerhouse situations with her. So I think it's... Um, she's best dealt with in her element... Um, even as fun as it may be to imagine her going up against something bigger. Well, and my feeling, and that's where we have video games like injustice gods among us and other places where you can balance the characters power set wise and have the visual of your, if it's your favorite character, the visual of your favorite character who may not be as powerful as say, um, Bane go up and toe to toe with Bane, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, that's that's a place where you can do that without hurting the overall continuity and um, world of, of that the comic books have. And I I think in the past when the the only thing I can think of right now when they have tried to tweak with Catwoman in terms of power and in terms of how formidable she is as a villain, only thing I can really think of is recall right in those 90s Batman movies where suddenly she can have a little bit more of a threat she can be a little bit more frightening but only at the cost of her sanity which is really interesting to me (laughs) is that if you don't have those like so-called powers or superpowers where do you take it you just make her off the chain I guess so so that's something, just a, a thought on that, I suppose. 
Yeah, that the nineties or late eighties because uh, Batman was eighty nine, yeah, and then the true. the rest were in the nineties. Yeah, that set of movies had that problem with all the characters to an extent. Oh yeah, I mean Catwoman was obviously very spelled out that she went insane and became Catwoman, and then uh, Riddler was pretty insane, and some would say Two Face was was more insane than he was portrayed in the comics. And let's not even start on Batman and Robin, <laughs> and and that one that that would that was bad. Yeah, some um, of those suits would require insanity to wear, I think. Yeah. Although I one thing I will say about Batman and Robin is um, those last two, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, were more of a bridge between the 1960s TV series and movie Batman and the 89 and 91 or 92 Batman and Batman Returns. Mm-hmm. So if you look at them in that light, they aren't quite as bad as some people like to portray them but the last one is it goes a little too far on the cheese Mm. just a little Kaylee and I have not been shy about the fact that we find them incredibly entertaining movies are they the most uh, in character movies it's hard to say in the comic book world Um, but you know it's if you want to have a little fun that's absolutely fine but you can definitely feel the cheese (laughs) All right, let's let's move on to the next one here, which uh, this is the Batman, Batman and Catwoman uh, interaction. And this is something that I also have not, not always enjoyed with the two characters. Um, much like we have discussed on previous episodes, being uh, 134 with Batgirl and 131 with Huntress, Batman has made up his mind that Catwoman is inherently good in this story. And this is a problem, in the, as we talked about in those other two episodes and the stories that go along with those, is that Batman at times makes up his mind about something, and no matter the, the evidence provided to him, he sticks to that mindset. And I have a problem with this. He's supposed to be the world's greatest detective. He's yes. supposed to be one of the smartest men in the room, to borrow a, a Marvel uh, reference. Sorry, um, more Marvel. Um, but he's, he, I don't like his stubbornness in this aspect. Like, there's other aspects if you, if you break down the character, you know, his stubbornness of always fighting crime, always fighting up uh, basically an, an endless, winnable, uh, winless fight, you know, against crime in general. That stubbornness and that determination makes sense. But this stubbornness about, I've met this person, I've, de- I've made a determination about their character, and I'm never going to change that bothers me about Batman and Catwoman's another great example of a case where he's done that yeah and Batman's an interesting character to us because I think a lot of the contradictions there can frustrate you so much it I feel like when there are real people in your life that may have similar contradictions and similar sort of uh, logical fallacies I guess in how they do things the fact that it elicits emotion makes it relevant to you. Um, in the case of Batman, he's what I think of as a rigid system thinker. As as a person who goes out and fights crime, Catwoman in this book had already likened it to thinking in black and white before. And black and white thinking unfortunately, can be completely independent of logical thinking. You can be a very logical, intelligent person, but when it comes to certain emotional aspects, logic can kind of fly out the window. Um, Batman does have this tendency, not just with Catwoman, but I think with some of the other characters, when it comes to, I guess, emotional blows, too. The way to put it that way is, you know, conflicts with Robins and things like that, where... You may know what someone is capable of. And in this case, maybe he knows a Robin is perfectly capable of taking care of themselves. But for whatever reason, he's already made up his mind on what other people should and should not do. And um, to make it sound a little strange, Batman's a little bit of a control freak. And I think that sort of thing will manifest when you've suffered a loss like he has or, you know, lost his family. He ends up a very black and white thinker as if this is going to be, I guess, a shield from all the things that are pretty much inevitable, like people disappointing you or things changing. So Batman has a very strange family, and he thinks that by insistence he can keep certain things that he wants the way they are. Um, It is definitely frustrating, (laughs) but I think it makes him the interesting character that he is. 
I, I think that works when people want to take him out as the solo character, um, kind of like what Snyder is currently doing. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't like Damien, and he doesn't really like a lot of the supporting characters uh, that exist for Batman. And so he, he kind of makes him more of a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. And um, that that trait, when you're more of a lone wolf, is, is maybe more helpful. But when you have to interact with other people, the controlling nature and the it's my way or the highway, I, I mean, I, I see why they introduce it, because it introduces another aspect of drama into these stories. But I think it's overused a little bit. Yeah. I, I feel like... At a certain point, if he's just going to be, you know, always saying no, basically, or always insisting on on doing it his way or, or, you know, looking at these characters as they can only provide me with this one aspect, you know, they they can't possibly do anything else uh, to help me, it it severely limits what those characters are able to do in these stories. Yeah, I've heard it asserted in the past that um, many people regard Batman as the justice and Superman as the mercy. And um, I I always enjoy interactions between Batman and Superman for the exact same reason, is that Batman's rigid system frequently comes to, er, to blows with people who have the same goals as himself, but are more willing to see those gray areas for what they are. Um, and particularly Clark wants to believe that people are good people. Bruce, it, it makes this whole Catwoman conversation even stranger, as you've indicated that he insists, well, you're a good person. When he tends to see so many other things as black and white, like you said, complete, complete ignoring of evidence in favor of something that he would prefer to have true. So I, I think it is really great that they allowed her to have this sort of rebuttal that yeah you can good people can be in bad situations though and trying to impart that information to him but it doesn't mean that he's going to accept it it's it's a shame i can understand too where there's that feeling that the batman catwoman relationship can be so lack dynamism because of it because it's a constant stalemate i know some people are intrigued by that concept of emotional stalemate it's i think just as many are frustrated by it yeah i I definitely fall into that frustrated by it category in fact that's the next note that i had there which is they have these ideology differences and it really does make them have this stalemate of they're only willing to go so far and various writers have pushed it as far as they really can go is like, well, they may, you know, have a one night stand or, you know, they may come together and, and, you know, have a night of passion and then go off onto their, their own ways until the next time that they both want to want to do that. And it, I don't know, I, I, something that's that rigid and that there's a, there's a thing that I'll bring up here that and the only the only thing that about the, the of the example of this that I can cite where it doesn't bother me is Gilligan's Island. But <laughs> okay, uh, okay. Star Trek Voyager drove me absolutely nuts because I knew they could never get home, and mm-hmm. I knew that every single episode was going to end in some form of failure, whether it was absolute failure or whether they got partway there and not all the way there. They would never actually make it home until the end of the series, and mm-hmm. it just it drives me crazy when something is that way. And I feel like the idea of a of a true relationship between either Bruce and Selina or Batwoman, Batman and Catwoman, is that thing. It's it's always right there, just out of reach, and almost you know down. they're never going to get it. <laughs> but they always try and find an interesting way to make it almost happen, but not quite. And it it's not interesting to me. It's stressful to me. Mm-hmm. And I realize that is my personal taste, but that's I just want people to understand where I'm coming from as far as why I don't like the idea of a Batman and Catwoman relationship. I'm always on the fence about... Uh, how that relationship is portrayed because there are times that I like it and there are times that I really am done, I guess. Um, This is one of those cases that when... I I feel that when Catwoman is the voice of empathy and reason, that's particularly interesting to me, um, especially given, as you said before, Batman's 
sort of image as this really logical person. Um, so I'm more fond of it in this manner than I am in, say, Kevin Smith's manner, <laughs> where um, where she's portrayed essentially as completely, again, no puns intended, bad <laughs> insane for him, but she wants to just screw with the situation. I'm far more irritated when the dynamic between Batman and Catwoman is this constant, really, really tired, as you said, very antiquated sort of back and forth game of this flirtatious woman and this standoffish guy and they want each other. Oh, but no. And now I'm going to jump off a roof and we'll have a conversation later. That tires me a heck of a lot more. So if we're going to have a Batman Catwoman dynamic in a book, I much prefer the one where they kind of talk a little bit like adults or act a little bit like adults to the one that it's this, again, very, very tired, very, very old-fashioned, oh, you can have me, but you can't sort of push-pull soap opera I'm not fond of. Which is, is funny because comics are their own type of soap opera that we yeah. like, but yet there's a, still this aspect of it that we don't like. Absolutely. Um, I don't have anything more. Uh, did you have anything that that you wanted to add? Um, you know, it's, uh, not a whole lot. I think the only other thoughts I really had on it is as far as we were able to go with this particular book, I'm still impressed by it in a lot of ways, particularly because Catwoman has had all of three female writers in her history, no female artists in her history, um, at least to, to my research or knowledge. But I feel like the dynamic of uh, Cook and Brubaker were able to give her more dimension in a way that is very rare. And I really hope that that changes in the future. I don't see it changing anytime soon. Um, but in the meantime, uh, support Catwoman books where she gets to do things. This is one of them. When in Rome is another. Hopefully the list will expand beyond two. <laughs> or maybe five. <laughs> well, and I would also say Selena's big score, which yeah. uh, depending on how you had this collected, um, the one that we were reading off of did not have that. So you would have to get that separately. Mine did. Okay. Well, <laughs> but mine at least did when, we, when we did the, the views thing, the version that I have had it in. So my brain always groups it together. So, but yeah, you're right. That is another really great one. Okay, and the last thing we have here is to give it a rating uh, best out of five batterings. So uh, what would you rate this story? I know that's a little different than how Views normally does it. Uh, that's a fun question, too, because I would say as a Batman book, it probably doesn't stand in the history of Batman as this particularly gleaming example of um, of the universe. If it were just as a Batman book, I'd probably give it a three. Um, if it were as a comic book about Catwoman, I'd be a lot more generous and I would probably go about maybe, I don't know if we can do three and, I don't know, three and three fourths or something a little bit, maybe not quite a four if it were just Catwoman, but that book, maybe a three. Okay. I, I wasn't really thinking in that, in that distinction. Um, but I don't think it changes my opinion of it actually at all because, while this this story doesn't really feature Batman, he appears a couple times to say, don't do that, and you're a good person. Mm -hmm. um, it's still within the world of Batman, yeah. and it still can stand beside Batman, and it's not contradictory or anything like that. So I feel like it, it actually is a four. I mm -hmm. feel like it was a very enjoyable read. It worked really well. The art and writing team work well together, as, as you pointed out. Um, and it it reintroduces a character who had gone through a comic death mm -hmm. uh, in an excellent way and gave whoever Brubaker passes this on to, it gave them something to work with. Whether or not they chose to do that, I don't know. Um, I, like I said, I haven't read a ton of Catwoman stories, so I don't know. I mean, I know from some stories that have come be after this that they, the character's not done all that well so it doesn't sound like it it continued um which is unfortunate but if you just take this for what it is for where it is at this point in the history of batman which is what this podcast is doing it's going through the 
the key stories in, in the Batman universe in a chronological order, I feel like it does an excellent job with the Catwoman character. So I'm going to give it a four out of five. So our average would be a three and a half out of five batterings for this book. Yeah. Um, please leave us any feedback you have on this, the episode page for this episode uh, at the Batman And while you are there at the Batman be sure to check out the Batman news, the comics reviews, TV reviews, and the other podcasts they have to offer. If you want to hear more that I do, and also Dylan, who's not here on this episode, you can listen to Arc Reactions Podcast, which you can find at arcreactionspodcast.blogspot.com. And Kit, where can they find you in other avenues? Oh, probably the library. But other than that, um, you can find my bellowings over at View from, or View from the Gutters. Um, that's our podcast. So uh, if you want to pop in and see us there, you can hear a whole lot of yelling. <laughs> yes, they have a very loud individual on, on the podcast who does a lot of yelling, but it is very entertaining. All right, so we have the credits for this story. Slam Bradley, The Trial of Catwoman is the backup story in Detective 759 to 762. This is in, from August to November 2001, written by Ed Brubaker, artist Dwayne Cook and Cameron Stewart, and the editor is Matt Idelson. Uh, Catwoman 1 through 4 of Volume 3, this is January to April 2002, written by Ed Brubaker, artist Dwayne Cook, and Mike Allred, editor Nacho Castro, assistant, and Matt Idelson was the regular editor. Uh, the next episode for Bat Books for Beginners is going to be Bruce Wayne Murderer uh, coming next month. We will see you then. <laughs>